whoa, what the fuck is that? Don't put your child in there. It's like a... Okay, so... What? Okay, so Lauren is Lauren is doing revision for school, and the slide is titled "Access to Collections," and the picture is what I'm going to assume is a parent or guardian of some kind holding a child in the mouth of, you know, the crocodile from Peter Pan. Yes, that. It's time to p-p-p-p-podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to You Activated My Podcast, the weekly Yu-Gi-Oh! recap podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jimmy. And this week, we're talking about, finally, yes, Season 2, Episode 1, The Mystery Duelist, Part 1. Tyler, I'm very excited to go into this new season of Yu-Gi-Oh! Me uh, too. I am going in completely 100% blind. Hell Unlike yeah. the first season of Yu-Gi-Oh, where I kind of knew some things that would happen just through like cu- cultural osmosis. Sure, uh, I know nothing about Battle City other than there's a city that has battles in it. Right. Yeah. I mean, you probably know a couple of things through like cultural osmosis, like you said. Like we got dual discs this season, uh, but oh yeah, yeah, that's the only part I know. That's about it. Discs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything else, I feel like, if you talk to people like you know ourselves who watched Yu-Gi-Oh maybe a little bit or maybe not at all growing up like if you asked them to recap Yu-Gi-Oh for you they would give you maybe the first two episodes of season one maybe a little bit of the end of season one uh but I don't think most people who weren't actively actively watching Yu-Gi-Oh remember season two so this is really exciting a yeah. lot of people have written in, though, who, like, were those people that actively watched season two, and a lot of people are excited for us to get into season two. So now I am excited, and I'm excited for you to come into this completely blind. Oh, well, let's all go in uh, very excited. Yeah. How about it? How uh, about that battle city? <laughs> I was about to ask uh, about recommendations, Jimmy, but we are getting rid of recommendations for season two, and instead... I would like to do a couple of things. I have a couple of, uh, well, I have one question for you that I'll get to in a minute. But uh, before we start the show, uh, a couple of things that I really wanted to bring up. So first off, this month, uh, June, when you're listening to this, if you're listening to it live, is Pride Month. So Pride Month just started. Uh, happy Pride to everybody. Uh, happy it's Pride. It's something that, like... You know, we have a lot of friends in the LGBTQ space. Uh, us are us two are straight white dudes, so like we. Recognize... So naturally, we formed a podcast, <laughs> right? Exactly. Uh, but like, you know, I feel like we recognize that we don't have anything necessarily like new or uh, you know particularly mindful to say about that topic. But because I know that both of us are so like dependent on our friends who are in the LGBTQA plus community, like 
I don't think either of us would be here without friends and family in those circles. Uh, I do want to say that uh, a thing that I am going to keep pushing this season is because we make and release this show for free, us two straight white guys, I would like to encourage people to take that money that they save from not having to pay for this podcast, not having to listen to us read ads, not like subscribing to our Patreon or whatever, uh, take that money and donate it to places that help people in need. Uh, so the places that I want to shout out uh, this week and probably all month actually uh, are going to be the Yellow Hammer Fund uh, donating uh, to people who are trying to fight the abortion ban in Alabama and Georgia and one other state that I'm forgetting. Uh, that's yellowhammerfund.org. Uh, trans Lifeline, which is a huge, huge resource for people in the trans community. I know several people now who have said like they would not be here if it weren't for Trans Lifeline. It's it's absolutely a, a organization that touches lives. That's translifeline.org. Uh, and then because this uh, week, this episode actually launches on my birthday, uh, so this will go up uh, as a birthday present to me. Also consider happy uh, birthday. You have to do work. <laughs> well, I'll, I just want to you know invite people to also consider uh, donating to an organization that I donate to every year. Uh, that's the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. Uh, PanCan is their other name. That's just PanCan.org. P-A-N-C-A-N. Uh, even just like five bucks to any of these organizations does legitimately so much. Uh, there are. I think on each of these websites, I, I may be forgetting one, but there's like a breakdown of what these organizations do with your money. And it's really cool to see like, oh, you donated $2. That is like a person handing out a flyer and the flyer itself. Like this is knowledge getting handed out to people. Donate $5, it's this other thing. You donate $10, it's this other thing. And you just kind of see like even at the lowest levels of investment, you're actively affecting people's lives. So. All of that to say, I really appreciate that people are listening to the show, and I've thought a lot about like, man, it'd be really cool if we could make a mon- make make a money for this podcast. <laughs> One money. One money. Uh, it'd be really cool if we could make money for this podcast. But every time I think that, I catch myself thinking, no, you know what? We really don't need money for making a Yu-Gi-Oh podcast. I would prefer that money goes elsewhere. So. As we are celebrating Pride this month, uh, as we are celebrating my birthday today, happy my birthday to you, uh, just think about donating to those organizations. I'll put links and stuff in the show notes. Uh, Serious stuff out of the way now. Uh, Jimmy, we have been gone. Gone, quote unquote. Uh, We've been watching stuff other than Yu-Gi-Oh! between seasons. I want to know about what you have been watching since we ended season one. That is a great question. I have been watching, among other things, uh, the new Netflix show Tuca and Birdie. Um, yeah, you referenced this. I just spilled fucking red wine on myself, so that's great. <laughs> you just did a spit take when I, I said did, it. I did, because I was so It wasn't excited. even like a funny thing. No. But uh, Tuca and Birdie is a cartoon from the, I think the, not the showrunner, but the one of the head designers of BoJack Horseman, uh, like the art director. It is all, it is completely directed and written by women, uh, which is cool. And it's very funny. It has almost a sort of surrealist humor sort of vibe, kind of in the vein of like, I want to say like a regular show or Adventure Time somehow, but in kind of a BoJack Horseman-like universe um, that has just all these surrealist sort of 
tangents, but uh, instead of just like derailing the plot to be like funny, they like move the plot along, and it's just a really good show. It's really it's really funny. Uh, I've been enjoying it a lot. Another show I've been watching that is extremely good. Uh, I know a lot of you have been watching Game of Thrones, and we're very upset uh, at the ending. And I can't blame you because I, my roommate made me watch like all my roommate binge watched all of Game of Thrones in like three weeks, and I had never seen Game of Thrones before either, except for like a few episodes at the beginning, which was a lot. Uh, just to s sit there for like twelve hours at a time and see all these like murders and like little girls getting burned at the stake and incest, rape, and that kind of thing. Uh, and then people were mad about the ending because they had invested so much time into these characters. Uh, but the question you might have now is, now that you have all this, you, you still have your HBO subscription maybe, what can you watch on HBO that's actually good? Uh, I would recommend the miniseries Chernobyl. Uh, the, by the time you read this, the last, there's only five episodes and the last one will have aired by now. But it is a historical drama, not really a documentary, but a reenactment of the events that took place on Chernobyl during the Chernobyl nuclear disaster and the immediate uh, fallout, if you will, sorry, of that event and just all the people involved and what they all had to do. But Chernobyl is um, almost like a horror thriller, even though everything involved actually happened and they went to great lengths to like make sure it's reasonably uh, historical and like all the people involved, that's what they actually said and did. Uh, oh, wow. But it's extremely good. And uh, one of the most uh, horrifying TV shows I've seen probably in the last year, it's extremely good. It's extremely well directed. And it's crazy because the showrunners, the last thing that guy made are like the hangover two and three and like scary movie three and four or what something like that. And then suddenly he has this Chernobyl miniseries that co just completely knocks it out of the park. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a that's switch. A, <laughs> that is a total uh, tone shift right there. Yeah. Huh. All right. I mean, like, I've, I've been hearing a lot about it. Like, you've been ranting about it for not ranting, but you've been, you know. <laughs> ah, Chernobyl! You, you've been talking about it for a little bit. Uh, our friend Alice has been talking about it for a, like a, a month now at least, like just raving about it. Well, it just has only been out uh, this last month So with new episodes every Monday. Well, so. there you go. There you go. Anyway, uh, and that is on H – is that HBO? That's HBO, okay. yeah. Cool. We can talk about Tuca and Birdie more if you want, but – I no, I kind of ran out of things to say about it. I other than how I, good it is. I'll li I'll hear it in the edit. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally washing my shirt. <laughs> well, uh, what have you been watching? Oh man, I uh, so I finally watched uh, Fast and the Furious Eight is on Netflix. Oh man, really? Yeah, so that's on Netflix now. I watched the shit out of that. Uh, no, I which I one it. is which one is that? Fate of the Furious. Okay. Uh, Fast and Furious I'm, 8. I haven't seen a, a few of the most recent Fasts and Furiouses. 
Yeah, I so I had missed out on the last like three, I think, and I I love the Fast and Furious franchise. Like, uh, I there's a post about it on my blog actually, where I outline exactly how it is a D and D campaign, which I mean it absolutely it absolutely is a D and D story. Um, but I for whatever reason just missed out on the last. Yeah, I guess I guess three because Fast Five came out while I was working at a movie theater, and I remember working and seeing it in like three minute chunks you know uh and then i just was like burnt out a little bit on that movie because i saw the same three minute chunks over and over and over again uh, burnout. Uh, and, uh, hey. Hey. uh and then i just I, I didn't keep up with them and i didn't see them while they were in the theaters but so now i've finally seen I think, unless I'm missing one somehow, unless there's an unnumbered Fast and Furious movie I don't know about. Uh, but I've seen all of them now. Uh, Fast and Furious 8 is the most recent one. Uh, it is buck wild. Oh, it, I'm sure. It starts at like 12 and goes up from there. It is nuts. Um, it actually starts with, it starts with maybe my favorite opening in a Fast and Furious movie. Uh, it starts with The Rock, uh, who is a, I'm going to forget if he's FBI or CIA. Anyway, Some he's government like agency. The, the military's best agent at whatever it is that he does. And uh, he's coaching his daughter's soccer team. And it's an amazing scene because it it starts with like him giving this impassioned speech, like he's going into war, and it's like a close up of his, of his face, and it pulls slowly out and out and out, and it reveals that he's talking to this group of girls who are all wearing like pink soccer uniforms. Uh, but then he leads them in a haka, like the you know the the Maori war cry. Oh shit! Uh, facing this other team of just little oh, girls. No. And they all pull it off, just like incredibly straight face. They do an amazing job, uh, and that is where the movie starts. <laughs> as someone who played soccer as a little kid, if I saw The Rock doing the haka at me, I would shit my pants. Yeah, I I would have given up more than I did already playing soccer as a kid. <laughs> I'd be like, "See, mom, this is why I don't want to play soccer. This is why I want to go home and watch Arthur instead because it came, comes out at the same time I have soccer practice." Oh, there you go. Now, granted, soccer practice was the one time I was allowed to have Kool-Aid. So soccer practice was A-okay. Because you got Kool-Aid? Because I got Kool-Aid. But anyway, yeah. So I watched uh, Fast and the Furious 8. Um, We just got done with uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. That season finished up. Very, very. I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but I'm very, very happy with the way that that turned out. Uh, We've been watching... Oh, we watched a really weird show that I I don't honestly know if I would recommend, but if you like our humor, you might like it. Uh, it's a show called Lunatics. Have you seen the? It's a Netflix original, or at least no. it is here. So it's it's a it's a show on Netflix called Lunatics. It's by uh, Chris Lilly, who is a comedian question mark, um, but he he did another show along the same lines called. Lauren, do you remember what that show was called? That Chris Lilly show? Do you remember Chris Lilly's other show? I think it was... Let me look it up. Anyway, he did a show like this once before. Uh, and this is kind of the... 
It, yeah, according to everybody, the other show that he did was better. This is the worst version of that original show, but it's still interesting in that it is sort of a mockumentary style following uh, seven or eight people around just sort of in their in their lives. Um, and they're, they're from all sorts of walks of life, right? Like one guy is, uh, he just inherited a department store uh, from his father-in-law. Another guy uh, is becoming the CEO of his family's real estate company. Um, uh, one lady is a, a pet psychic to celebrities in South Africa. Uh, another is a 12-year-old boy from Australia who visits his... Oh, Summer Summer Heights High is the other one. Lauren says, uh, which which is the better one? But Lunatics. Um, the 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 theme is is that in all of these different stories, the main character is played by the same dude. Okay. So it's it's interesting from that respect because there's like, oh, the, and that's the same for the other show. So that's that's Chris Lilly's thing, but so it's. Like, the, the humor in the writing is, like, so-so in some cases. Like, I've seen a lot of people sort of, you know, talk about how problematic it is. And I can understand that. There's a lot of things, because it's Australian, there's a lot of things that I don't understand. And I don't know, like, I don't know what to look for. To oh, you don't problematic. have, like, the cultural context. Yeah, exactly. But it's really interesting in that you can watch it and, like... There's a 12-year-old boy who, uh, like, just makes videos for his Instagram, CuntLord69. That sounds Australian. uh, Yeah, yeah, right? Uh, And there's another one that's, like, a girl uh, from Australia who moved to California to go to college. And she's, like, a college freshman. Uh, But you don't... When you watch the show, you don't see the actor. You don't see him. You see that character. And it's really weird. Like there are scenes where like uh, there's a scene where she like cuddles up next to some dude, the, the, the college girl and you forget, Oh, this is a 40 year old man in a wig. You'd see the college girl and you're like, Oh, what a sweet moment. And it's, and then you, and then you think about it. Then you're like, wait a second. What am I actually watching here? <laughs> it's very weird. Um, huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's very very weird there's a lot of well like one of the one of the reasons that it's rated adult or whatever it's rated uh one of the reasons listed on netflix is strong nudity not just any nudity jimmy strong Strong nudity nudity. (laughs) there is there there's yep it's accurate strong nudity is when a bodybuilder poses and then all his clothes rip off I mean, it, it might as well. There, there are long, long shots Dicks. of one man's, uh, no, <laughs> no, uh, of one man's impossibly large bottom. Yeah. Huh, I yeah. was not expecting uh, that word to yeah, come out of your mouth. As he's waiting but, okay. for an ass reduction surgery, uh, <laughs> we get a we get a long shot of that. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, so Chris Lilly's Lunatics is another one we've been watching. Uh, and then we just started rewatching, uh, Supernatural. We're picking that back up because Lauren and I have never seen Supernatural all the way through. We've seen up to season six or whatever, and then dropped off. And now that it's all out, it's all, well, it's almost all out. We're, we're in the final, the final lap. Uh, we're like, well, let's, let's give that a go. All right. And that brings us to today. You've certainly been busy. Yeah, a lot of watching things. 
it's yeah, you know. Yeah. It's a hobby. <laughs> that sounds gross to say, but it is. Speaking of watching things, Tyler. Jimmy. Do you know what we just watched? Hell yeah, have, I know what we just watched. We just watched Battle City Season 2, Episode 1. We did. Let's talk we about did. it. Okay, let's do it. It's time to discuss the episode. All right, Jimmy. So, a few details about this episode. Number one, it came out November 16th, 2002 in the States. It premiered like a year before that in Japan, but we're just going to talk about the States because we're watching the translation. Uh, the official summary, you ready for this? I'm ready. The official summary of this episode says, an arcane fortune teller steals the Millennium Puzzle, and Yugi must defeat him in a duel to win it back. However, this is no ordinary soothsayer. He's a familiar and formidable foe from Duelist Kingdom. Or is he? Can Yugi beat him all alone without the help of his friends or the spirit inside the puzzle? Dun, dun, Find out dun. this week on Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, that summary I love because it just spoils the whole damn thing. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Uh, also, we don't get to hear the answer to the question because, surprise, it's a two-parter. Yeah, that was the other thing. And it's a part one, so... <laughs> So suck it, nerds. We're back in Yu-Gi-Oh. Dang it. That's how you know we're watching Yu-Gi-Oh is when we get excited for an episode and then it's a two-parter. And then we just just get like, aw. But uh, we do get to see some stuff happen this episode. So We do. We, we start with some not new stuff, unfortunately. I was really excited for the season two theme because uh, the season two opening sequence is really, really good. Uh, but this episode is the same as season one for some reason. Yeah, I'm disappointed. I guess they're like easing us into season two. Yeah, they're not going to hit us with the season two uh, theme until we get into Battle City proper. Yeah, I suppose so, which which makes some kind of sense. Which I, I'm only assuming at this point that there is an actual city called Battle City, and it's not just like the theme. I'm going to be honest with you, Jimmy. I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember if that's what it's called. Because uh, it starts out in the same Domino City that we know and love that they right. live Domino in. Domino City that we definitely know by name and not because we looked it up in a wiki that one time. <laughs> uh, we start the episode with Taya greeting Grandpa at the game store. Uh, Taya looking for, for Yugi to head to school, I think? Yeah. It's not made super clear, but there's like a big soccer game happening at school. Apparently, first thing in the morning that they all have to be at that not sounds... regular school. Yeah, huh. But it seems like it's a school day though, right? Like Yeah, I mean they have their backpacks day. and all their their school their uniforms. Uniform. Yeah. Uh but but so Ted walks up to grandpa and grandpa's like sweeping outside. Uh, and you know, they do the whole chit chat, like, Hey, you know, grandpa, it's me, Taya, Yugi's friend. You remember from the time with the souls and the stuff. Uh, and, uh, and grandpa's like, Oh, I guess you're here for Yugi. And she goes, yeah. As if there's another reason that she might be <laughs> like, no, grandpa, I'm just here to chit chat with an old man for a bit. No, no, grandpa. I'm here on a school day to buy some cards. I just thought I'd come to the game store and take a look around. You still got that blue eyes white dragon? It's me, Taya, and I'm gonna get the blue eyes white dragon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Grandpa's like, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll 
what is what does he say? He's like, I'll call him for you. Yeah, I'll call Yugi for you. And then he just turns ninety degrees and yells really loud at Yugi's <laughs> window. <laughs> Which which I really love. Like, no, no, dear, don't strain your voice. Let I'll me get Yugi let me you. shout out my dipshit my dipshit grandson for you. Uh, but Yugi is only barely able to hear because he's not paying attention. He is uh, putting a new chain on his Millennium Puzzle, uh, which is literally a giant like chain link chain. Yeah. Uh, we need to point out, this is not a jewelry tri- chain. This is a fucking chain that you would use to, like, close an abandoned factory with. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like... Between, it's like a giant, like a bike lock chain. Mm-hmm. This is this is 100% the chain that Ghost Rider uses. <laughs> this is a chain that you would use to anchor a small boat. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And he's just like adding it to the millennium puzzle like it's a normal necklace chain and then he strings it around his neck and it's just like huh gotta get gotta get a new chain for my necklace here that's why he's so short he's wearing this 20 pounds of metal around his neck the whole time (laughs) he's stunted his own growth (laughs) i i just want to know like what hot topic stocked that chain in 2002 because you know that at least one absolutely did right like that's a thing you could have gone and bought at the time for sure. Uh, either, but, either that or, like, he just went to Home Depot or somewhere and got a straight-up, like, actual chain chain. Home Depot, the clothing store of goth kids since 2002. Yeah, and we get a shot of it later, and it's fastened at the other end with, like, this combination padlock. Yeah, it's like a gold carabiner padlock thing that's, like, really intimidating, actually. yeah. Uh, but he, he says, so like, okay, I got to get a new chain for this because it seems like everybody wants the millennium puzzle now. Like I got to keep it safe. I got to make sure it can stay secured to my body. Yeah. And that's going to be important later on. (laughs) This, this is Chekhov's smoking chain here. Uh, Chekhov's chain smoking. Um, it, 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 the chain becomes important kind of. Uh, but so sort of, Big but Yugi really. and Little Yugi are, are talking and, and Big Yugi is like, yeah, you know, we really need to protect ourselves now. Uh, we need to like stay together. We need to trust in each other. And he says it's because he has this like bad feeling about what's to come. He senses darkness for them in the future. and In their fate. Yeah. Yeah. He sort of rambles on a little bit about destiny. I uh, want to point out that Yugi is looking in the mirror during all this. And he sees, like, Big Yugi appear spectrally over his shoulder, which I don't think he's done before. No, yeah, I don't think we've gotten it in the mirror before. I do wonder if that, like, that's a thing that they discovered between seasons. Like, oh, now little Yugi can actually see Big Yugi in the quote-unquote real world. What is real, really? Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. It's I like it. I feel Look like in it's the mirror less... and say card games three times. You'll see the pharaoh <laughs> appear over your shoulder. I mean, I feel like it's less creepy than just like, here's a 5,000-year-old man appearing in your mind. Yeah. Like now you can sort of see like, okay, there is there is a thing happening. It's not just me getting possessed by like any rando spirit. Yeah. Oh, he's right here. He's definitely part of this millennium puzzle. Right, right. So it, it you know, anchors it a little bit. Uh, in, Literally, in... with that friggin' chain. <laughs> 
so Yugi ends up walking downstairs and he goes and he greets Taya and Taya's like, all right, cool, let's go. We're going to be late because Yugi is just always late for school things. And they're walking along and Taya's like, so do you think we're going to win this time? And Yugi's like, what? Win what? What are you talking about? And Taya goes, you don't really care much about sports, do you? Which like, yeah, Taya... Tiny nerd child. Of course, he doesn't care about sports. Think about which is weird, Tyler. I feel like this is like a branching point in the timeline, and we're seeing like the regular timeline. But if Taya had like followed that up with, you know, that sports are a kind of game, right? Then the rest of the series would be radically different, uh, and you, you would be like, "Hey, yeah. you're right. I'm king of games. That means I have to become really good at soccer now." Right. Right. And the rest this would of the become series like a, would be like a sports an anime. 11 or something. Yeah, yeah. It would become like a soccer sports anime. He becomes the next Ronaldo. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if season zero progressed further, like if they just kept making that style of Yu-Gi-Oh, I feel like the logical progression says that we would have gotten a soccer episode at one point. Yeah, he has to be. Sports are games. He would have to be good at all sports. Okay, what what sport would you most want to see Yugi compete in? I want to see Yugi play American football just to see this tiny <laughs> child use supernatural powers against a linebacker. Uh, <laughs> see, I want to see I want to see Yugi compete in the Highland Games. <laughs> like I, I fucking want, caber toss. Yeah, I want Yugi to do caber toss just to see this three foot tall child chuck a telephone pole like a mile. <laughs> It's time to cook a cook a caber toss. Oh man. Uh let's see what other good sports would Yugi be good at? Well, okay, they don't even have to be real sports. Like I've talked before about one of my favorite subreddits, the Ocho. Oh yes. Uh oh, man, alternative competitive sports are definitely eating. a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, right? Like Yugi in uh like jalapeno popper eating competition. <laughs> Everyone's just sweating, and like he's sweating, and the spirit's sweating behind him, but he just like shovels them into his gaping maw. Uh, yeah. But no, they don't talk about how sports are a kind of game. They talk about well, they nothing about, really. Like, no, you know, they're just like, yeah, Yugi doesn't like soccer, and the, all of us go, yeah, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> It's fine. It's okay. He doesn't need to like all games. It's all right. Uh, The reason that they they don't talk for too long, though, is they're interrupted by this mysterious voice going, Fortunes, the future, allow me to see into the the spectral visions of what lies in wait for you. Uh, And Yugi is like, oh, shit. Okay, cool. Uh, Let's go talk to this fortune teller. And he, like, drags Taya over. Yeah. And... He goes, uh, you know, this could be, this could give me some insight into what the Pharaoh is so concerned about because he said he had a bad feeling about the future. And immediately. This dude is very suspicious looking. He has got, oh, yeah. he, he is a cultist. Oh, uh, 100. Like, he, he is, I feel like if you are wearing the items of clothing that this dude is wearing, you are self-selecting as a cultist. Like he is wearing red or not red robes, it's uh, a purple, uh robe. purple robes, like to the floor, a giant hood that covers his eyes, 
it has gold trim along with a gold eye uh, on the forehead, like that looks like the Millennium Eye. And then it has some more chains hanging from it. Like, I don't, I can't think of any profession that you would wear that in other than I am a cultist for the forces of evil. Yeah. This guy is going to end up getting eaten by a demon or something. Right, right, right. And that's what he's signing up for. Absolutely. Uh, but so, you know, Yugi doesn't pay attention to any of this, of course. He's just like, yeah, no, I want my fortune told. That, that would be really fun. He says, uh, can you really see into the future? And like, what? This fortune teller is going to say, no, I can't see into the future. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, you never know, right? Like, maybe it's like, uh, no, I'm just really good at uh, guessing, I don't know, heights or like. <laughs> no, oh. this is my prank show. This is a thing I like to do where people come up and ask me if their fortune's told, and then I tell them I can't do it. <laughs> You've been punked, kid. Uh, and then Ashton Kutcher pops out from under the table. Uh, no, so so the fortune teller's like, yeah, I can tell you your future, uh, but I am going to need uh, like a personal item from you to sort of get that psychic connection. And he's looking Yugi up and down, and he goes, like your necklace, for instance. <laughs> gesturing to the millennium puzzle and yugi's like well no no, i'm not gonna like that's important to me but i'm not gonna just hand it to you and the fortune teller's like well okay i guess i won't tell you your fortune then and yugi is just immediately like okay i'll hand it to you right and so (laughs) so he takes (laughs) so he takes it off he takes off this actual enchanted item that contains the soul of his mentor. That he just spent, like, who knows how long putting this gargantuan <laughs> chain on with the explicit purpose of so that no one can take it from me. Yeah, having a chain around your, like, ancient artifact is completely useless if you're just going to take it off and give it to some random street corner guy. It turns out that the biggest threat to the Millennium Puzzle's safety was Yugi this whole time. <laughs> Yugi's the villain. Uh, and can you guess what happens next after Yugi hands over the Millennium item to this random street fortune teller? No, Jimmy, tell me what happens. The fortune teller steals it. <gasps> he literally flips the table and is like, okay, bye, and runs away down this like dark and dingy alley. Shock. Shock and horror. How Good could golly. he have possibly seen this coming? Uh, so Yugi and Taya split up. Yugi chases him down the alley while Taya goes the other way. Yeah, uh, Yugi yells back at Taya, okay, I'm going to chase him here. You go around the corner and cut him off. Like this tiny boy and this teenage girl are going to stop this like fully grown man from stealing this ancient artifact. Right, and like... You, we see this in shots later on too, but Taya goes like around the corner, kind of, but it doesn't seem like it meets back up with the alley ever. Like she goes she, fully around the block, but it's yeah, like a Japanese walks, like, block. This is a huge, like major city block. It feels like she walks like halfway around the city just yeah. to like get to like she ends up going back to school at one point. <laughs> Like, I don't think she's going to be heading anyone off anywhere if that's how alleyways work in this city. No, she straight up books up, books it into the other direction. So anyway, so Yugi chases down the alley, which is clearly the correct way to go, because 
as he goes into the alleyway, uh, he finds arrows pointing the way that the guy went. <laughs> like, which is again, arrows, like literally, like I think they're just printed out onto some signs. Mm-hmm. Like oh, this yeah. guy sat at his computer for a while and printed out twenty copies of giant red hour arrows onto his A4 printer paper. Which I'm definitely keeping in my list of like pranks to pull on someone. It's a very good prank. Uh but it's also very like Riddler-esque in a way. Like, ha ha ha, come find me, Batman. Can you solve this clue? And it's yeah, it's literally just arrows pointing in that direction. Uh, so Yugi chases, Taya runs, uh, and she actually ends up running into Bakura briefly. Uh, and they- we haven't seen in a while. No, yeah, so this is, uh, good Kura, I should, I should specify. Uh, and they chat for a while, and Taya's like, oh, yeah, uh, Yugi, you remember Yugi, you know, king of games. Uh, he lost his millennium puzzle, because he's a dipshit. Uh, and I've got to go chase the guy that took it. Do you want to help? And Bakura's like, nah, I'm good. You go, though. You should, Yeah, he you know. says, oh, don't let me detain you. And it's so, like, no no offering to help or anything. Uh, because as soon as Taya leaves, he transforms into bad Kura. Yeah, surprise. He's still bad Kura this whole time. And, and as it was revealed in uh, the last season, it is bad Kura... 100% of the time now. Bad Kura is in control. He just masquerades as good Kura. Uh, and what does he say here, Jimmy? He has a really good line. <laughs> he says, no one shall have the Millennium Puzzle but me. I want its power. And then he just, like, drops his, like, bookcase of all his school stuff and straight mm-hmm. up just rips his uniform open to grab his Millennium Ring, which he got back somehow. Because last yeah. we saw the Millennium Ring, Tristan chucked it off a cliff into the middle of a forest. I mean, I'm guessing he just went into the forest for a while. Because, like, now he's a malevolent spirit and can do that sort of thing. When? Uh, who knows? Who, who cares, honestly? <laughs> well, what I, what I want to know more is he got the Millennium Ring. Okay, fine. How did he get off the island at that point? Yeah. Did he just, like, find a helicopter somewhere? Yeah. Joey and Tristan and Taya and everyone with Yugi got on the helicopter. Uh, but he, With the Kaiba brothers. With the Kaiba brothers. Where the heck was Bakura? Did it... Oh, did he go with them? Did he go with them? He must have, because they thought he was good at that point. They left him with Mokuba. That's true. So he would have been with them. So wow, wow. Okay, now wait. No, when did he get the Millennium Ring? (laughs) He would have had to sprint uh, all the way through the castle, down the stairs, into the forest, (laughs) find the exact spot where the Millennium Ring was, uh, find it, sprint all the way back, and without anyone noticing, without anyone noticing, and then pretend like nothing had happened. I mean, I'm just gonna say that's what happened. He got the the ring back. He got no the ring back. No one noticed Frodo that he had this back. friggin' dinner plate sized uh, magical item underneath his school uniform this whole time. I mean, I guess I don't know, but I do love that shot though. Like, I think the shot of him revealing the Millennium uh, Ring is like maybe my favorite of this episode because it's a nice like 
low, it's sort of lower. It's looking up at him. It does a little bit of a spin. He spins. He rips his shirt. Uh, he reveals the Millennium Ring. And one of the other things that we get in the transformation from good Kura to bad Kura is his hair gains like 300% volume. Oh, yeah. He's got he the- suddenly gets a shit ton of conditioner. Right, like he's got like long white hair normally, but when he turns into bad Kura, it like exp- like he goes super saiyan. Basically, it's like a lion's he, mane. His bangs get huge. It's out on the sides, like longer in the back, and it's a good look, honestly, where he just like spins around. He's got like a shit ton of hair, and he like rips out the the ring, and uh, yeah, he holds it in one hand, and all the little. I don't even know the little deedly boppers that hang off the ring. What would they call them? boppers. No, that's a scientific uh, term. Points, I guess. Uh-huh. No, deedly boppers is correct. The, the deedly boppers uh, activate so he can find the Millennium Puzzle. And they all and he just says, start... He says, Jimmy, he says, you remember that famous line, deedly boppers activate. <laughs> deedly boppers activate! And the deedly boppers activate and start pointing in the general direction of uh, where Yugi is. Uh, and they just start vibrating weirdly yeah they're like pointing Clickety. vaguely in one yeah. direction clickety clack uh, it's right. a it's a very uh hot hot medium warm cold scenario y- yes i was confused for a second there when you were talking about when you said hot hot i was confused because we had just talked about how this child ripped his shirt off and went super saiyan <laughs> and i was like jimmy do you need to do we need to have a discussion no, about I'm your feelings talking for about, uh vague sense of direction yes yeah uh so we cut back to yugi uh yugi follows the arrows to an abandoned warehouse and jimmy i had a question for you about this warehouse that i can see you also wrote down have we seen this warehouse before yep just from the outside and some of the like interior shots that we get to see of this warehouse, uh, it looks very similar to the warehouse that he fought the Yo-Yo Gang in in season zero. It and does. there are holes in the roof uh, that could have been made by Yo-Yos. Yeah. Is this the same warehouse, or does this does Domino City just have uh, a shuttered like industrial district full of abandoned warehouses? where the economy collapsed. I mean, I guess I guess I would believe either, honestly. I personally choose to believe that this is the same warehouse and it's just rented out by by bad people. Like yeah, exactly. Like this is uh one of three bad guy warehouses that just get rented out to people with nefarious deeds. Yeah. And um suddenly he's like in total darkness in this warehouse and suddenly a spotlight comes on and shines on the Millennium Puzzle, which is, like, hanging off this nail that is hanging, like, been pounded into a wall. I don't mm-hmm. know where mm-hmm. the spotlight came in, came from. Uh, there's a full AV tame uh, just out in the shadows with spotlights making it look cool for Yugi. Yeah, I... You know, it's one of the many mysteries of the show. Uh, is it magic? Is it technology? Is it... Is it real? Is it fake? Is it actually this person? Is it that person being mind controlled? The true question is, is where is the control room in this warehouse? (laughs) Yeah. Is there like a mobile studio somewhere with like a full uh, light control board? Someone is back there. Some like minor. The control van just out of shot. Yeah. Some cultist is in there pressing buttons Uh, because suddenly more lights come on 
and the spooky-voiced uh, guy we saw earlier, the fortune teller, uh, reveals that inside this dilapidated warehouse, someone has built a just pristine dueling arena holographic field. Yep. Here it is. Brand new. Straight from the Kaibako. It's the new <laughs> dueling arena Mach 2. Now, I'm just picturing like the last week or so where Kaibacorp had this thing delivered to this abandoned warehouse and the cultists were like just assembling it. I assume these things just come in like a catalog, like an old Sears catalog. Oh, it's um, like an Ikea. They're like flat packed. Yeah. Uh, it's just a bunch of panels and you hook it up yourself. Like right, uh, right, right. old Sears catalog houses in like the 1920s or whenever. Yeah, there's always there's always a few superconductors sort of left spare, you know. Yeah. You're, you're, sh- you're sure that's supposed to be spare. That doesn't doesn't need to go anywhere, right? Uh, I can just imagine have this though, like, many hex nuts. Hey, do you have a hammer? <laughs> I just imagine the delivery guy showing up to and being like, "All right, I've got a delivery for evil cultist," uh, and then somebody in a re- in a purple robe like ducking their head out of this dilapidated warehouse being like uh yes i'll sign <laughs> and they sign the little thing all right here you go <laughs> <laughs> finally my plan is coming to fruition oh so they name, spend the please. next week building it yeah uh, uh but yeah so it's revealed hey it's a dueling arena and what's that tied to the side of one of the podiums it's the millennium puzzle just like there on a on its chain on yep. a hook uh, and the uh, fortune teller guy uh, just says that he is challenging Yugi to a duel for the puzzle because according to ancient magic rules, if he the only way for him to be able to like use its power is if he defeats Yugi at a duel. Yeah, and then, he explains it, but like I don't know something about the way this guy talks really weirds me out. Like he does, there's like a voice modulation thing for Starburst. Yeah. You, you, He's speaking in one voice, and then there's like a modul, like a deep modulated voice speaking simultaneously. It's like right. the same voice but pitched down. But then just his pattern of speech is weird too, because he's like, "Ah, Yugi." The dual master, the master of games. Uh, now I will beat you and I will get to the Millennium Puzzle because it is I that seeks a Millennium Puzzle and to get this Millennium Puzzle from you, as everyone knows, in the rules, I must get the Millennium Puzzle from you by winning in the duel for the Millennium Puzzle. And the Millennium Puzzle will be mine and I will get the Millennium Puzzle, Millennium Puzzle. <laughs> yeah, he um, he hints that he knows way more about the Millennium Puzzle than both Yugi and Pharaoh. Probably um, true. But if he, Low bar. the only way he can get it from Yugi is to duel him for it. Why did he just steal it instead of like challenging him to a duel? I the only I way mean, I can get this from you is if I beat you in a duel. But I just stole it from you, and the only way you can get it from me is if you duel me for it. Even though it's it's on Yugi's side of the field is the thing. He could just reach up and grab it. He and just run. yank it back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think part of this is definitely going back to that, that image earlier of, like, the the cultist interns spending a week putting together this dueling arena. Like, there was definitely a meeting that was too late in this process that was like, wait a second, you put it where? Why did, why did we build it in this? Ah, oh, now I have to get him to come to this abandoned warehouse. Ah, oh, shit. And then, like, 
Craig or whatever, the cultist intern, is like, ah, sorry, bus. Ah, I fucked up. Ah, my bad. Yeah. Um, what would have happened if Yugi just said no and walked away? Because then he would have been left with this Millennium Puzzle that he cannot use, according to the ancient magic rules. Yeah, that's a really good question. Like, if it had to have been one in a duel, does does refusing to duel count as losing the duel? I don't think so, because there was never a duel in the first place. You're not forfeiting the duel. Right. I mean, like... Hmm. I guess it depends on who you ask, right? Like, you know, we're we're not Republicans. We would say that if if we did not debate, I did not automatically win said debate. <laughs> yeah, duel me. Uh, yeah. Now I'm huh. picturing a world like a, this Yu-Gi-Oh world, but it's our world, and people are always challenging Alexandria Ocasio Cortez to duels. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, no, I don't have to do all you random dipshits. I'm a congresswoman. <laughs> okay. On the flip side, though, I would love that world because we would intermittently get videos of her in Congress explaining why Blue Eyes White Dragon is trash <laughs> in detail. To become a congressman, you have to defeat the previous congressman in a duel. That's how it works. Oh, fuck yes. Oh, that'd be amazing. Anyway, okay. Continuing on. Continuing uh, on. It's time to duel. Yugi it's says, time. yes, I will duel you, random cultist. Because he's the king of games. Uh, but notably, since he doesn't have the Millennium Puzzle, he has to duel by himself. Yeah. Uh, there's a brief scene where they like talk to each other from a distance, uh, but the, the bond is weakened because they're not touching yeah i guess he just hears the voice of the pharaoh like distantly coming from the millennium puzzle like i can't help you here you have to do it uh yourself yeah yeah it's it's sort of uh you know ben kenobi in the the x-wing cockpit you know trust in yourself believe in the force yeah Uh, but the pharaoh can't help yugi because he's not haunting yugi he's haunting the puzzle right and yugi does not have access to the puzzle even though it's yeah. like three feet to the left of him on this platform. Yeah. He could totally just reach down and grab it. I don't know. But... He's pretty short. That's what he gets <laughs> for wearing those <laughs> heavy true. chains. That's the real reason he needs the Millennium Puzzle is so he can have longer <laughs> arms. <laughs> you can just get a stick or something. Uh, so I, I put a link in here, Jimmy, to the the Wikia for this episode because it has a, a more detailed outline of the battle that they have. I don't feel like we need it at least at first because it starts off fairly simply here. Uh, Yugi summons Cultic Guardian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the mysterious figure puts down a defense mode monster. Or defense, yeah, a card in defense mode. And Yugi's like, okay, cool. Uh, I guess Celtic Guardian will attack. And it's a trap. Surprise. Surprise. It's a trap. Uh, The trap is, I guess I do need the thing pulled up. Uh, The trap is Cyber Jar. Uh, the flip effect of Cyber Jar activates, destroying every monster on the field and causing them to uh, draw five cards. Uh, and, 
Oh, and this is a thing they didn't say in the show, but it's a, an effect of the card is they would have to special summon any level four or lower monsters that they drew uh, into attack position. Well, that's card game rules, not show rules where you can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, so Yugi sets a monster. Uh, the mysterious figure then uh, shows their hand huh, huh, eh. uh, by playing uh, Mechanical Chaser, who we've talked about before. And uh, what's the other card here? Uh, Machine not, King. No. I, oh, and uh, Ground Attacker Bugroth that we see oh, like yeah. three frames of. <laughs> Sir, not appearing in this film. Right. Uh, and Yuki okay. goes, wait a second. These are all machine cards. Only one person ever plays machine cards. You're a bandit Keith. And he, he gets really dramatic about it, too. He goes, reveal yourself, Bandit Keith. <laughs> like it's, it's like a Phoenix Wright game. Yeah. <laughs> Objection. <laughs> this is no cultist at all. But straight up, yes. As we know, as we all know in this anime, only one person ever can play cards of a certain type. And... Uh, Bandit Keith has a monopoly on machine cards and the figure lowers its hood and we see a very gaunt and ill-looking Bandit Keith. Yeah, it's Bandit Keith for sure, but he does not look well. We can only Uh, tell it's Bandit Keith because he's wearing his uh, America bandana. (laughs) Right, right. It's still still repping the, the red, white, and blue there. Yeah. Uh, and as uh, Bandit Keith talks, that other voice continues to come out of his mouth. And the voice says, well, yes, it's Bandit Keith technically, but it's not actually Bandit Keith. Uh, Bandit Keith is my mind slave. Yeah, my mind-controlled slave. And uh, we get, throughout the episode, we get glimpse of, glimpses of who's actually controlling Bandit Keith. And right. it's it's some other like cult leader sitting on a throne somewhere holding some kind of millennium item. Yes, a dark and mysterious figure uh, who is controlling things from the shadows. <laughs> uh, and uh, every now and then we get glimpses of Keith's eyes like widening and you get Keith's actual voice coming through like trying to get free. Uh, and every time the voice is like, no, like you're not going to get free. Uh, at one point it says, you'll never free yourself, Keith. (laughs) And Keith says, help me before Uh, returning to his just blank expression on his face. Right. Uh, and yeah, so it's, it's, uh, puppet Keith, I guess, versus Yugi for this duel. We cut away real quick to Taya at school because she's just given up on chasing, I guess. Uh, And she gets Tristan and Joey to help find Yugi. I only bring up this scene because on their way out of the school, they run into the soccer coach, Coach Morty. (laughs) Coach Morty, who... Who, he he looks like he could be the protagonist of a different anime. Yeah. Is the thing. He's just... He's wearing like his black, like suit and he's got like a whistle around his neck and he has some like anime hair he's got like a spike going on yeah he he's like um have you played the the latest pokemon games for the switch the pokemon let's go games not really 
I have the so, demo, but I haven't gotten the actual games. He looks like the... I'm going to figure what they're called now. I think they're called coach trainers or trainer coaches. There's like... On each of the routes where there's trainers, there's one that's like a little bit tougher than the rest. And they all wear these like green uniforms and have like the military haircuts. Like he looks like one of those kids, but he's got this big ass popped collar that's just like, oh, okay, you're the cool coach. Yeah. And Coach Morty says, hey, where, where are you kids going? You volunteered to help at the uh the soccer game the big soccer game that's going on and um i think it's Taya who says oh please coach we have to leave my my cat is sick yeah Taya's again the one person that comes up with good ideas and she lies about this cat being sick at which point he starts crying and he's like yes of course go tend to your your sweet precious kitty you're, you're, no no one said that your kitty was sick please go go and save fluffy run to them <laughs> run to fluffy and they all book it and he's like he just cries and watches them leave <laughs> so yeah you know i i could watch an anime starring coach morty <laughs> that could be hey, its own spin-off show coach morty is a good guy he is. He is a truly pure character uh, for our time of need. <laughs> uh, I do uh, want to also point oh, yeah. out, um, we get a brief flashback of how Bandit Keith got here. Because oh, we do. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. Last time we saw Bandit Keith, uh, he was basically getting flushed out of Duelist Kingdom by Pegasus when he pressed a button and uh, he, he fell through his like villainous trap door into the ocean. Um, yeah, he answered that question finally of like, where does that bottomless pit empty out? Yeah, it's just like, um, you know, it's like in Bespin in uh, Star Wars where there's just these like mm. giant shafts going everywhere and it just has a bunch of tubes leading to this like hatch at the bottom that dumps everything into the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, instead of the atmosphere, it's into the ocean. Yeah, so Bandit Keith fell like... Uh, like 200 feet down into the ocean and was fine, but was like starting to drown. When he got found, he was fished out of the ocean. He looks up, he's like clinging to some driftwood. He looks up at this like weird ancient sailboat. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a pirate ghost ship almost. It's but this like... wooden sailboat that looks like it's from like ancient Egypt or something. Because it has these two, it's not a modern like yacht or anything. It's, no, a, it's, it's a wooden sailboat with two eyes painted on the front of it. And I wonder if there's any like boating experts listening to the show that can write in. Because the thing that struck me most about this boat is that it does not look like an Egyptian boat. It looks like a, like a Spanish galleon or something that just happens to have Egyptian motifs painted on it. Yeah, it's a vaguely defined ancient world boat. Um I have no idea where they even got this boat. Did they commission it from somewhere? Or is it an actual, like, old boat that has been passed down by this I order? Mean, I would not at all be surprised if it was a, a dual monster. The boat itself is... The boat itself, they summoned it from a card. <laughs> I, I like that idea. I mean, we've seen it done, not boats, but we've seen, like, actual summoning dual monsters. It would not surprise me if this is, like, I cast magical boat. <laughs> that would be super useful, actually. I can see why people want to join this cult now, if they just, like, 
open their coat and they have like a bunch of specific cards that are like a boat or right a friggin like rocket launcher or something <laughs> yeah endless money <laughs> i cast pot of greed <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could see it sign me up i'm in anyway oh i can i can pay off my student loans with magic all right yeah there you go uh, but Bandit Keith was fished out of the ocean by this ancient sailboat cult and brainwashed. Uh, I guess that was the price yes. to pay for his life. Yeah, the the mysterious dark overlord person explains that, like, I'm always looking to mind control hapless fools, and Keith was just hapless enough. And <laughs> I'm always looking for like... new mind control slaves. Yeah, basically, and he's like, and Bandit Keith was the perfect puppet, because with a name like Bandit Keith, how could he not be? With a name like Smuckers, it has to be good. (laughs) With a name like Bandit Keith, you have to be a dipshit. Right. So, so, well, I mean, speaking of, so Bandit Keith has uh, machine cards, right? That's his thing. And he's got three of them out right now, and one of them is, is it... It's Machine King, right? Machine is the name King, of it. which is just a bootleg Optimus Prime. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's 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 Optimus Prime meets Megazord, like yeah. d- d- sort of co- free of copyright robot dude. Uh, and it's deal, Machine King. It's it's deal is that it gets like a I think it's a hundred uh, attack points uh, for every other machine on the battlefield. It's something like that. Yeah, so it essentially gets stronger the more machines are out on the field, and he just keeps summoning machines. Yeah, and he's got what's-its-face and mechanical chaser, which still looks stupid as hell. Yeah, like they're not good-looking, but they're machines nonetheless, so they work. Uh, And Yugi had uh, a Celtic Guardian, which gets clobbered by Machine King. And he had... There's something else that he summoned that I'm he, forgetting now. He gets Curse of Dragon and Gaia the Fierce Knight. Oh, that's and right. And he does his polymerization trick to not actually polymerize him, but just have Gaia sit on top of uh, Curse of Dragon. To the turn. most disappointing polymerization. <laughs> um, but he turns that into whatever the hell it is. It doesn't matter mm. because it dies. Right, like almost immediately too. Like Yugi's like, "Aha! I have made a strong monster now." And then Keith is like, "Okay, well, here's another machine, so it's stronger." And you, there it goes. Yeah, okay, I do bye. want to point out Machine King's attack is pretty cool. It looks straight up out of uh, Megas XLR. Do you remember Megas yeah. XLR? Yeah, oh, uh, it has yeah. Jet Punch, where its fist like blasts out of its arm and punches uh, Yugi's monster with like this rocket coming out of the back, and then it makes it opens its fists, and then the fingers are also rockets that blast it backwards back onto uh, Machine King's arm. It's a good looking attack. I'm not <laughs> gonna very lie, like silly for, and cool for as dumb a robot dude as this looks. That's a really good punch mechanic. Yeah. Uh, but so Yugi is getting kind of like worried about this, right? Cause he's outnumbered at this point. He's outmatched and he's trying to figure out, okay, I can't contact the spirit. I have only the cards that I have. Uh, and I need to figure out how to sort of turn this around. So he draws, uh, summon skull and summon skull gives him an idea and he goes, ah, okay. I have to play a magic card. So he plays a magic card called Maki-Yu, which 
obscures the field in a in a fog, mm-hmm. in a thick fog, that has two effects. That Jimmy, I will be damned if I can figure out where these effects came from, <laughs> or if these were just Yugi making stuff up. This is this is uh, a tried and true uh, Yu-Gi-Oh tradition of playing cards that let you do whatever the fuck you want. Because uh, two things happen. Yeah, Makiyu uh, is missed, and it just causes the machines to rust because it's all missed. And right, that's what you know, happens. That, that thing that happens when right you, away to all metal in mist. When you when you leave it out in the the mist, that's what happens to cars in the Pacific Northwest. Right. Sure. Um, it within the span of five seconds. Within the span of five seconds, you leave your car out. It just completely rusts over, and it does. Oh, the machines oh. do, but then they also because they're rusty, they become lightning rods. Right, like they weren't before. They were metal the whole time, but now because they are rusty, they are also lightning rods. (laughs) And because of that, he is able to attack with Summon Skull, and since the Summon Skull uses lightning, it hits all the monsters uh, and fries them and blows them up. Right, so he defeats all of the machine monsters all in one go with Summon Skull, (laughs) turning the tide of battle, and then we cut away. Before he can celebrate, uh, we cut away to uh, TGJ, uh, Tristan, Taya, Joey, uh, and they find the alleyway that Yugi uh, walked down. Mere minutes after, Bakura finds it as well. And I forgot that we had a shot with Bakura as well, somewhere in there. Yeah. When Bakura found the alleyway, he found the arrows that the cultists put up. And he goes, well, I can't have anyone following me. And he grabs one of the arrows and he spins it the other way around. <laughs> so it's now pointing back. So later on, when Taya and Tristan and Joey find it, there are arrows pointing every which way. To the point where there's one that's like a it's like a right turn arrow. Yeah. But it points up. It's pointing straight up the side of the building, <laughs> and they're like looking around at all these arrows. Oh, we're so lost. We have no idea which way he went now. I mean, I feel like they can rule out up as being an option. I feel like up is unlikely. I don't know. I feel like rooftop down is also unlikely. Would be much more interesting. I mean, okay, we'll get there. Like there are there are there are rooftop duels in our future, my friend. But anyway, so they they just start walking, I guess, and they're like, it's gonna they're gonna find it, right? Like. This is just a minor setback. Yeah, this isn't a, actually going to keep them from... It's just a minor plot point to keep them out of the warehouse for the time being. Yeah. Uh, we cut back to the duel. Bandit Keith is uh, sort of calculating the loss, or should I say the, the puppet master who is piloting the body formerly known as Bandit Keith uh, is, is sort of doing the mental math on what it would take to win this duel now. And it's revealed that he literally has cards up his sleeve in another really cool shot where we see the big cultist sleeves have these like machines in them that deal cards into Keith's hand. It's Assassin's Creed. It's the hidden blade. But instead of instead of a blade, it's a card that comes out. Right. And he like and it like, like sleight of hand trick like puts it on top of the deck without Yugi knowing. Yeah, he uses that and the, like the card comes out like under his palm. So when he reaches mm-hmm. for the deck, uh, it places it directly on top of the deck. Right, right, exactly. So he 
he pulls this card out of nowhere and draws it, and it is, uh, he says, this. it's a card that will turn the tide of battle and whatever, and it is uh, a card that we talked about actually in the last episode. It's the Zero Ritual, uh, which Yugi is like, uh, what does that do? Or I've heard of this, but I don't know what it is. And it's sort of those vague, like, this is a famous thing that I don't know anything about. Yeah, despite being of king responses. of games, this is one of those cards where Yugi doesn't know it just so they can explain it to the audience. Right, exactly. And I'm so sorry, Jimmy, because I stepped on a note of yours that I want to go back to real quick about the hidden card mechanic. Yes, this is such a, a great thing that it gave me the, the hidden card just makes me think of Assassin's Creed. And I, I pictured Assassin's Creed in the Yu-Gi-Oh! universe uh, where all the assassins still have their hidden blades, but it brings out cards to win duels against the Templar. Ooh. And it'd be, I mean, it's obviously cheating, but since the Assassin's sure. Creed is nothing is true and everything is permitted, it's fine. And that's how they break these these rigged duels that the Templar put up to to run the world is by it. by using their hidden blade cards to cheat. And that you would know, also is... make oh, go ahead. That would also mean that the Pope is one of the top duelists in the world. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. As yeah, a yeah, Templar, like I'm picturing I'm picturing like Pegasus in Pope robes. Uh, I'm picturing Weevil Underwood dresses the Templar. This is very good. I like this. The aesthetic would fit too with these ancient um the apples of Eden. They look just like millennium yeah, items. Yeah, they do look like millennium items. Yeah. I thought you were going to say like the giant chain necklaces and the the hot topic uniforms. Oh, the pop collars are 100% <laughs> Templar adjacent. That's true. Big big hoods and popped collars are very uh very assassins. One of the things I really enjoyed about playing Assassin's Creed Rogue where you play as a Templar is that mm-hmm. in normal Assassin's Creed games when you enter like a forbidden area, you pull your hood up. Uh right. in Assassin's Creed Rogue, you just pull you just pop your collar even more to hide uh, like your entire yeah. face. That just made me picture like a frat boy Assassin's Creed where when you enter a party, you pop your second collar. <laughs> I mean, that's 100% uh, what the Templars do in Assassin's Creed. And they're here to party. They're here to party. And uh, rule the world. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, you know, first one, then the other. Yeah. It uh, doesn't matter which order, honestly. Uh, so at, at a certain point, uh, as Yugi is trying to figure out what Zira, the Zira ritual does, Bandit Keith once again tries to resist the mind control. And we get this, again, a really good shot of like his eyes widening and he's like, ah, let me go, free me. Uh, but then the, the dark mysterious puppet master says resistance is futile, which I got a big kick out of. Cause I don't think I would have caught that at the age that I was watching this show. No, that is a hundred percent a Star Trek reference. I'm pr- Does, sure the the uh, the translators just wrote that in for fun, but is Star Trek a show in Yu-Gi-Oh? I yeah, like to like, believe is, so. Is did this mysterious figure watch Star Trek and think <laughs> like, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow some ideas from that? The the cult leader watches Star Trek in his downtime, right? Uh, so the, the, the ritual, the thing that happens, they, they set up this whole thing with Yugi being like, Ooh, it's mysterious. 
But what happens is, is that the ritual consumes the two monsters that Keith still has on his side of the field and summons uh, a card. Uh, or no, well, here's what happened. Is, is Yugi's like, okay, fine. So you have the ritual. You need the monster card that it actually summons in order to summon the monster that it summons. Uh, and then Keith holds up the card and he's like, I, I do. I have it right here. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> Uh, and then it consumes two of Keith's monsters, and he gets to play a card that we talked about uh, in our episode last week, Zero the Mant. Hey, it's Zero the Mant. Uh, this is the Zero one the that, this is a guy that looks like a giant skeletal dragon. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, he has a human skull cod piece. Uh, if you want all of our thoughts on Zero the Mant, go listen to last week's episode. Uh, Zero the Mant is, is large and in charge. Yep. Uh, chunky yet funky. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Yugi is like, ah, oh no, it's Zero the Mant. Ah, ah, g- ah, nuts. Yeah, and Zero ah, the Mant, like, geez. just completely obliterates, um, wh- whoever he has. Oh, it was Summon Skull. Yeah, 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 so Summon Skull is no more. So, uh, once again, we find ourselves at, very nearing the end of the episode, and Yugi has no cards, and... His opponent has the super awesome card that's about to fuck shit up. Yeah, and like basically this episode ends on a three-way cliffhanger. The first cliffhanger being we cut to outside and Bakura has found the abandoned warehouse and he goes, ah ha 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 and then uh Tristan and Taya and Joey continue to search in the alleyway and they're like, huh? What? Who? Uh, and then Yugi doesn't know how to win, and he goes, ah, and we fade to black. To be continued? Question mark. Uh, yeah, yeah. that's the episode. It's a two-parter, which I wasn't uh, anticipating, but that is the first yeah. episode of uh, season two. You know, and I, I, I'm glad that it is a two-parter, too, because I feel like we really needed a two-parter to get back into the feel of Yu-Gi-Oh! after however many weeks off like this really brings me back to here is what a Yu-Gi-Oh episode is it really does this episode i think that i'm gonna go ahead and say my favorite uh yeah this episode has everything you want in Yu-Gi-Oh. it's got magical bullshit mm-hmm. uh it has uh, a duel that is kind of pointless it has the friend group getting sidetracked yep. uh it's got yugi uh believing in himself and the pharaoh and whatever Yep. Yeah, that's Yu-Gi-Oh for you. Yeah, this is this is top to bottom an episode of Yu-Gi-Oh. Yep. Now, that's what I call Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> Just the hits. Uh my favorite I think is, you know, in every episode of Yu-Gi-Oh also there is a character or a mechanic that is so clearly there just to fill time. And I don't always like it, but when I do, I really do. And I really, really liked Captain Morty or Coach Morty. <laughs> Coach Morty, I feel like, really did not need to be in this episode. He served little to no purpose. Yeah, the whole but having a character soccer cry game, over a cat. The whole soccer, the whole soccer game, game plot point was just it's nothing. Nothing. Uh, and you know, like, oh no, there's somebody's gonna stop them. But then it's immediately like, okay, that situation is handled like right away. It, it, it's literally just filling for time. But having a character whose only purpose in life is to cry about cats that don't exist really just like gives me some kind of joy. Yeah. 
they didn't have to put him in there, but yeah, I, I like that it took the trope of the teacher stopping these kids that are like in an actual emergency and trying to go somewhere and just right. kind of immediately turned it on its head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and again, like I would totally watch the Coach Morty spinoff. <laughs> At least a, a miniseries. Right, right, right. Yeah, a six-part miniseries. Coach Morty trying to like win the soccer game and all his students keep running into problems and like running to save their cats or whatever. Oh, that would be really, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. The more we talk about this, the more I really want that to be a real thing. (laughs) Uh, what was your least favorite part? Um, that's a good question. The, this episode had a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh stuff in it, but it just didn't seem terribly important. Like, we can see that yeah. we, we yeah. can tell exactly how this is going to end with Yuki getting the Millennium Puzzle back. It just... It, <laughs> I mean, who knows? It could be a really short season. <laughs> I just feel like this episode is kind of... It had a lot of good stuff, but I feel like it's kind of a weak way to start off a full season two. Sure, sure. But I like that it... I did like that it hints at uh, more magic stuff and like other forces at work in this world besides... Pegasus. Like he's not the only one who knows of millennium items. Right. Yeah, it does kind of open up that that idea of like okay, somebody like we know somebody is out there looking for stuff, but it sort of presents that threat of like okay, here it is now. Yeah, this, this is ve- the threat. This uh episode is fully just a vehicle to introduce these these concepts and characters. Yeah. Uh, I just did a quick search to see when the the air date of this episode was in comparison with the last episode of season two. Because I think I think I like my least favorite here is like it kind of it kind of feels like it's almost like a recap episode. Like to your your favorite, you know, like yes, it's great that we get this. Like here's what Yu Gi Oh is. Like this is a Yu Gi Oh episode, all right. Uh, but my least favorite, I think, is that it doesn't really go anywhere. It's just like, here's more of that thing. And I think in my head, I was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, being like, okay, maybe it will... Maybe it's like, oh, it's been a few months. Let's get people back into, like, here's what Yu-Gi-Oh! is and what the structure of an episode feels like. So, Dungeon Dice Monsters Part 4 aired November 9th, 2002 in the States... And then this episode aired November 16th, a oh. week later. Wow. There was no break. Just a smooth transition from one to the other. across is all. Yeah. So it's almost just like, all right, okay, let's move along. You know, like, yes, this is more in the A plot now, but it feels like we could do so much more with that. Like, we've seen them do a lot of plot stuff in a short episode. And it felt like this is another episode where it's like, all right, we're getting, we're getting there. Let's get to the, let's get to the good part. Thing, yeah. Do okay. We're here, season two, and go, go now. Do it. It's also I never got that momentum. It's also left vague uh, how much time has elapsed between the end of the last season, like in universe and this episode it could have been days for all we know 
Yeah, or it could have, this could just be the continuation of, of one day that we've seen. <laughs> this is the very next day after uh, Dungeon Dice Monsters. Yeah, who knows? It's not terribly important. No, no, it's not. But that's okay. Oh, what were you going to say? What was your least favorite? Or was that your no, least favorite? No, that was it. Okay. That was it. I did yeah, just want to point that... out, I googled Coach Morty, and this is mm-hmm. the only time we see him in the entire series. But uh, in the <sighs> Japanese dub... Um, they said that they need to. He says that they need to be in class, and uh, Tristan and Taya say that Yugi is sick and needs to see and wanted to see them instead of a That's cat. That's not a okay. Well, okay. Out of the two of us, I feel like you are more qualified to say whether or not that's a legitimate way to get out of class. But I don't think that's a valid way to get out of going to class. Hey, my friend is sick, so I get out of school too? That doesn't seem like it would fly. No. I If your cat is, like, dying, that would be one thing. Because Right, if you're going through some, like, family shit. Yeah. But if you're just sick, you can't have all your friends take a day off to go see you. Right. Unless you're, like, in the hospital or something. Right. And yeah, maybe that's, they said that's that, the but I don't say. know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Yugi is is sick. He's got terminal duelist disease. <laughs> and then Corch Morty's like, "Oh no, TDD." Yeah, he got dry finger syndrome from using <laughs> cards all the time. He's withering away. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to come up with a pun for shingles, but it's cards, and it's just not coming to me. <laughs> Anyway. Uh, anyway. Uh, Bye, Coach oh, well, Morty. Bye, Coach Morty. We barely knew you. All right, Jimmy. Uh, that was the episode, season two, episode one. Do you want to talk about the monster bracket? Yeah. Let's do our new segment. It's time to battle. I don't know. I haven't come up with a good intro for this for this segment. This is the weekly monster bracket, the Battle City Beatdown, the time in which we take two of the monsters that appear in Season 2 and pit them against each other. Jimmy, this week we actually have two cards that appeared in this episode. Wow. And that was not intentional. What a crazy random happenstance. Uh, So the two cards that we get this round. Are you ready? I'm ready. In this corner, it's got big guns and little arms. It's ground attacker Bugroth. And in the opposing corner, it's literally just Legend of Zelda concept art. It's Celtic Guardian. Yay! Ground attacker Bugroth versus Celtic Guardian. Uh, Two... Somehow incredibly lackluster cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who uh, we are pitting against each other in the ring today. Tyler, uh, I want you to yeah. go ahead and say uh, Bugroth in a British accent. Ground attacker Bugroth. <laughs> I'm. Who's, who's, the, who's um, Maggie Smith's character from Downton Abbey? Lauren? She's got her headphones in. Oh, God, she can't hear me. Uh, I'm just saying Bugroth sounds very similar to Bugger Off, so you might not want to say this card's name in public. Bugger Off. 
the ground attacker bugger off. That would be rude. I I have heard some people call each other some very off-color names here, and it's played off like it's nothing. So I don't think bugger off actually means anything terribly bad. Okay. Uh, yeah, the slang they use here in some cases is shocking. Um, so, uh, Ground Attacker Bugroth is a level four earth machine monster. Uh, it has 1500 attack and 1000 defense. Uh, Jimmy, can you click the, uh, the view TCG info there for me? Sure thing. Does this guy have card text? Uh, let's find out. For those of you that didn't watch the episode, uh, Grand Attacker Bugroth looks like sort of like if you took an ATST Walker from Star Trek. Star Trek. Oh my God! Tyler, oh, shoot me now. Oh no, I'm so sorry. An ATST from Star Wars, and like dipped it in whatever acid the Joker fell in in Batman. You know, yeah. like, it's got this like vaguely alien, like green sort of vibe going on it's got two big green legs it's got a cockpit with like a bubble sort of dome window on it and then it's got these two little arms sticking out yeah it's got like a little little... robot dome sticking out from under the cockpit and then two Uh little robot like punchy arms that that don't even like they don't go past the nose of the cockpit no I'm they trying to, to see what's any on these purpose. little hands. I'm wondering if it's like cameras or something. Yeah, or more guns or, or something. Gun but then it's got lasers. these two giant, like, missile launcher, potentially look rocket. Like, you know what they are? They're the Enterprise's warp nacelles. Oh, they absolutely are. That's exactly what they are. That's a Star Trek. That's I know a that. Star Trek right there. <laughs> but it's like landing gear is like goblin legs. Right, exactly, exactly. They're like four uh, claws sticking out. Yeah, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of cohesive sense. The card text is a surface battle robot that was once used for sea warfare. So this was huh. a boat that they slapped some legs on. You know, I feel like that's a way to improve really any boat. <sighs> Put legs on it. Now we're getting into some uh, Gurren Lagan territory. I know you've never seen uh, Gurren Lagan, but <laughs> there's some people out uh, there who I, know. I tried Gurren Lagan. I got I got started on Gurren Lagan. It uh it explained a lot about uh, roommates that you and I have shared. <laughs> um, Gurren Lagan is an interesting show, but Ground Attack Bugroth. I guess I can kind of see. Do you think the missile rocket things are like pontoons at some point? They're probably pontoons, and then the thing sticking out in them is like uh, torpedo launchers or something. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe that I get. It's really hard to tell if there's something that's supposed to come out of the front or the back. It Maybe looks both. very. It looks like it had no cohesive design. Which would make sense Style. if it was first used for naval warfare and now is used for for uh, for ground-based combat. Yeah, it looks like some weird pontoon boat that they then put legs on. Yeah. That's ground attacker Bugroth. Right. Let's move on over to Celtic Guardian. They, put on, uh, they gave him legs so he can bugger off. <laughs> <laughs> Celtic Guardian is an earth warrior monster. Uh, with 1,400 attack and 1,200 defense. 
Jimmy, describe the look of Celtic Guardian. I I riffed on him, but yeah. tell me we've tell me specifically about, what's happening we've here. We've talked about Celtic Bar- Guardian before, but he's literally just like a DeviantArt OC of Link from Legend of Zelda with some better armor. Right, that was the only thing I was going to add. Yeah, the, the hat specifically really, really helps, I think. What the heck is going on with his hat? It's like a weird dome and then it has some like scythe sticking out the side or something. Yeah, it's it's uh <sighs> if he runs into you with his head, he'll hit you with two axe blades. Right, I'm I'm just imagining like I'm looking at it, I'm trying to picture the aerodynamics of it. Like I can't imagine that it helps his run speed at all. It kind of feels like they would catch the wind every a time bit. he runs it goes <laughs> Do you think do you think the hat spins around <laughs> when it catches a breeze? Oh, like a like a like, like a propeller beanie. Propeller caps, yeah. <laughs> he just has to get going very fast and then runs into people with his axe propeller beanie. Yeah, and that was the other thing that I was kind of disappointed by with the card art is you you can see that he is holding a weapon of some kind in his right hand, but it's not... We don't get to see it. No, oh, there, it could be it. There is some alternative card art where we get to see it's just a sword. Oh, okay. Not even is it a like partic- a good sword? It's or just is a, it like a... It's not a particularly interesting sword. It's the most generic sword you could ever think of. Okay. Not even the hilt is terribly interesting. Okay. Well, that's... I mean, and that's fine. Like, not all swords need to be interesting. But uh, the card text for Celtic Guardian says an elf who learned to wield a sword. He baffles enemies with lightning swift attacks. I feel like that is it's implied that it's surprising that an elf who learned to wield a sword. What the? Yeah. Elves using swords. What will they think of next? A talking cat? Question mark, <laughs> question mark, question mark. But yeah. Uh, He's just an elf with a sword. Yeah, that's kind of the whole the whole dealio here. Uh based on stats alone, uh the edge does go slightly in ground attacker Bugroth's favor because he has uh fourteen hundred or no, pardon me, fifteen hundred attack compared to Celtic Guardian's fourteen hundred. Yeah. So it's a hundred more attack there. Uh, Celtic Guardian has more defense, 1,200 compared to 1,000. Not that that matters a whole lot in a, a one-on-one duel. Neither of them seem to have special abilities. They're both normal monsters. Based on just the card art here, Jimmy, what are, what are you thinking? I think Celtic Guardian has a more cohesive art direction. Uh, mm-hmm. I kind of like Ground Attacker Bugroth in principle because I'm looking at this thing and imagining it in like an RTS game. Like, it's... Uh, like it's like goes around on the surface of the water and then it can also like walk up onto land and it won't be quite as good, but it is still like a ship that is on land and is probably more powerful. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned an RTS game because I saw this and immediately thought of Total Annihilation. I thought of Total, Total Annihilation too. This, this looks like a Total Annihilation card or a uh, character. Yeah. If they had a more, a, a wonkier design, for yeah. the things, this would definitely be a unit in Total Annihilation. It would be a, uh, a hovercraft. Because they brought now, those in in the expansion. Uh, tanks that can go on water and land. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Except this one would be a K-Bot with its little legs going doop-a-doop-a-doop. 
<laughs> now that said, as much as I love Total Annihilation, I have to agree with you on Celtic Guardian as far as the art edge for two important reasons. So uh, if you, you click the link on on Celtic Guardian's name there, and the, the listeners can do this too. If you go to uh, the bracket, which is heartofthe.card slash bracket, you can click on Celtic Guardian, and that'll take you to the official Yu-Gi-Oh.com page for Celtic Guardian. And I went there, and two things immediately struck me. First being, this dude has muscles on his muscles. Like, whatever this brown sort of tunic thing he's wearing is, is skin tight. It looks like, uh, speaking of Legend of Zelda, it looks like uh, what Ganondorf wears in Smash Brothers. Ooh, yes. Yes, it is Ganondorf's Smash Brothers armor, absolutely. Uh, and, and I mean... Like he he's got a he's got a skinny little face, but but uh, my Celtic dude is is pretty jacked. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that struck me is if you scroll down on that page, Jimmy. So first it lists here are all the episodes that it appears in, which are you know quite a few. It's a popular card. And then you scroll down a little bit further, and there is a section for selfies. I was going. I was. I saw this when we were doing our last episode. Uh, this is a feature of the Yu-Gi-Oh website. Where you can submit selfies of you with the cards. I am amazed that there are only five selfies listed for Celtic Guardian. Granted, there are none for Ground Attacker Bugroth, but I figured for Celtic Guardian there might be more. So maybe this is a thing. Maybe we should help out Yu-Gi-Oh.com. If everyone listening to this show right now would take a selfie with all of their cards and submit selfies to yugioh.com. I think we could really help with their content game. Yeah, generate some content. There's someone here, there's a lot of people with dual discs with a bunch of Celtic Guardians in their dual discs. Uh, there's a person okay. here who has a Celtic Guardian like action figure. Mhm. That oh yeah, that one's pretty good with a dual disc. Okay, here's the thing. Here's what we need to do. Everybody listening to the show, take a if you have a Yu-Gi-Oh card, Take a selfie of yourself with the Yu-Gi-Oh card and somehow show that you were listening to You Activated My Podcast. Oh, that would, have be, it up on your computer, that would be great content. On a phone. Have, have You Activated My Podcast in the same frame as the Yu-Gi-Oh card and submit that to Yu-Gi-Oh.com. I wonder how. I'm not seeing a place where you can submit it. I assume oh, if you I'm have a either. Yu-Gi-Oh account because there's like a login up at the top. Yeah, how do we not have logins already, Jimmy? I'm just gonna connect my Facebook right now. I'm you just do gonna that. Full tilt you this. learn on. You learn how to uh, take a selfie and submit it to Yu-Gi-Oh.com, and we can talk about it next week. Oh no! It's the first thing that shows up when you log in. It's the first thing that shows up. It says, "Show us your cards." <laughs> Step one: choose your favorite card. Step two: take a selfie. Step three: upload. Is that like your profile picture? I, with you I, I with don't your know. favorite I, cards? I need to like it's it's walking me through creating a profile. Oh man, that's actually a pretty cool gimmick. I'm into it. Alright, create profile. Yeah, that's just it's it's a thing you can do. Uh let me see. See all selfies. No, okay. Uh interact. Okay, I'm going to get sucked way too deep into this. We need to decide which of these monsters is the better monster. Uh, it's it's really close because as 
nice as cool as Celtic Guardian is, he's still just sort of generic. So really, it could go either way. You okay? You gotten choked up over there? <laughs> just thinking about your sweet boy, your sweet boy Celtic Guardian. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it could go either way for me because like Ground Attacker Bugroth, I think is the strategic the wow strategic choice if we're talking just battle like hardiness. Yeah, but its design is all over the place. Right. Celtic Guardian, I think, doesn't lose that much as far as battle worthiness and has a much better design. True. But I do like, now Now that we've talked about it, I do really enjoy uh, the idea of ground attack Bugroth being an RTS unit. Yeah. it's That is 100% like a modded unit you could probably download. That's the sort of thing people would have made. Back in the day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's something you can download in, uh, like, Star Wars Galaxies or something. Yeah. It just doesn't look cool. No, it looks bad. <laughs> it looks it like... It has a bad look. It looks like uh, a unit that someone designed, like, it was. it's their first time using a 3D program, and so they just have all kinds of... They just take random shapes and, like, mesh them together. Or, like... And, and, you know, like, Jimmy, you're an only child. You won't, you won't relate to this at all. But, like, you got the Star Wars Lego set that you'd wanted, and you build it, and you spend time with it. And then, like, three months go by, and you're kind of done with it, and you're not really playing with it anymore. So you let your little brother take it apart, and he builds his own ship out of it, and this is what happens. <laughs> this is 100% like a little brother designed this sort of look. Yeah, out of the spare parts left over from real real items yeah there is nothing cohesive going on with ground attacker bugroth i do like it though so does that tip it in favor of celtic guardian i guess i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna okay i'm gonna say something definitive here because i feel like we've been avoiding it i'm gonna say i'm in favor of celtic guardian moving okay that is good enough for me i am not particularly attached to any of these but um i will I respect Ground Attacker Bugroth for what it is. Thank you for your service, Ground Attacker Bugroth. <laughs> Truly braver than any U.S. troop, Ground Attacker Bugroth. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to see the U.S. military take on Blue Eyes White Dragon. <laughs> I, I Not because I think that anyone would win or lose. I just really want to see that. <laughs> I want to see U.S. soldiers in Ground Attacker Bugroth. <laughs> Ooh. On like a parade ground, and it's just like tank, 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 and then this like neon green and blue thing stomping around wildly, swinging its tiny useless arms. All right, that's my new petition. Change.org. No more drones. Just ground, just attacker, ground bug attacker bug roth. I'm into it. All right, Celtic Guardian takes the win. Congratulations, Celtic Guardian. I will say Celtic Guardian does get an edge for being like a main card in the show as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Shows up a lot more than Bugroth for sure. Surprisingly, he just, it's every time we see Celtic Guardian, I feel like he gets obliterated real quickly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to the point where they've just stopped voice acting him. Yeah. We, I like, we talked about this a little bit earlier. He just has the ox grunt. Yeah. He has the, Friggin' what was that card? Uh, Battle Ox. Battle Ox. 
It, I, <laughs> except, oh. it's, except it's not a person vocalizing it. It's very clearly like a cow going moo. Right. His, his, his lines. I, there's nothing in his design that would suggest why he bellows like an ox. Well, you know what, Jimmy? Regardless, that's the bellow of a winner. That's true. Congratulations, Celtic Guardian. Uh, if you disagree with our ruling here uh, or anything else we've talked about on the show, you can reach us at youactivatemypodcast at gmail.com. You can visit us on Twitter and Instagram at yampod. That's Y-A-M-P-O-D. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can go to our website, uh, heartofthe.cards. Jimmy has another podcast that he'll tell you about presently. Yes, uh, Dungeons Against Humanity, the D&D game where whenever we need inspiration for an item or a person or an event, we draw a card from Cards Against Humanity. And let me tell you, it makes some weird shit happen. Um, we are very, very near the end of the campaign. Um, the next, I think we only have one, maybe two episodes left, depending on whether our DM splits it up into a, a two-parter uh, for the podcast form. The dreaded two-parter. <laughs> a dreaded two-parter, but um, it's very near the end of the campaign. So uh, if you want to get caught up, now is the perfect time to do it um, before we move on. Hell yeah. All right, and that's uh, DungeonsAgainstHumanity.net. Duh, podcast. D-A-H podcast uh, at, on Twitter. Cool. And on Instagram, I believe. Oh, nice. I didn't realize you were on Instagram. Yeah, we have um, just a little bit of like art of some of the characters on there and that kind of thing. Gonna follow that shit right now. All right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, is there anything else we need to plug? Uh, go donate places, register to vote, uh, call your mom. Until next time. No one shall have the Millennium Puzzle but me. I want its power. <laughs> I want it. Give me. I want the power. I want it bad. I want it bad. Father, I want the Millennium Puzzle. Oh, Papa. <laughs> Papa, I want the Millennium Puzzle. All right, all right. How much for the Millennium Puzzle? Infinite. I say, Yugi. Tell me how many coins I must bequeath upon you for the Millennium Puzzle. Ooh. Is Pegasus Bakura's dad? Is that where we're going with this? Is he not? <laughs>